Welcome to the Deep End. I'm Jeff Dubisky, Workforce Logic's Chief Solutions Officer. And today we are in part two of At the Risk of Failure. For those that have not listened to part one, I suggest go back, listen to part one, and you'll pick right up then with here part two. But uh, joined with me today again is Kevin Sturge, former Senior Director of Global Contingent Workforce Supply Chain at Cisco. Kevin, thanks for jumping back on with us again. Thanks for inviting me back, Jeff. Appreciate it. So we had a lot of great conversation during our last uh, meeting together. We talked about a, a number of things around building the business case for a, a larger global framework for contingent workforce and really leaning into statement of work as well, uh, which seems to be somewhat elusive for an awful lot of organizations. One of the underlying themes while we were talking was, was data. Uh, data is what people seek. It's how we try to make decisions. It's how we try to make business cases. Uh, but some of the things that we were talking about obviously elude the data uh, checkpoint, right? That we go off for, whether it's political things, uh, gut checks or what have you. W what do you think about the, the quest of a global aggregated database? Uh, what's its pros? What's its cons? The global database with respect to SOWs and, and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's very, very helpful because you know, what I see is every organization has a slightly different emphasis on what is in an SOW and what isn't in an SOW and definitely what should not be in an SOW, like named resources and stuff like that. And I think if you've got that data, you can start giving internal scores that you know, are very customized for the individuals, uh, for, for the individual organizations that they're supporting, because our needs are very different, right? And you know, so I, I would love to have that day where an SOW goes in and it says, look, you're below the threshold, because of X, um, or this is never, ever, ever gonna get approved because you've mentioned Jeff's name in the SOW, therefore you know, it's not a true managed service. Um, and then you've got the other side of it, Jeff, which I think is then how do we make sure we're capturing value and driving value, driving you know, all of the things that we discussed in part one. So you know, that will be utopia for me to see that. Um, and and you know, the utopia also be to see it real time as you're putting that SOW in rather than after the fact, right? Because as you and I have discussed many times before, sorting some of this stuff out after the fact is very, very hard, right? You know, you've got people invested, you know, in bringing people in, bringing them up to speed and, you know, just sorting that afterwards is, is pretty hard. I think one of the things that you brought forward in part one was the discussion about beyond costs in the business case. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the key that you brought up is to taking a look at like potentially global call centers. Mm -hmm. And if you went to a particular call center uh, and you dug into, let's say, why it was the best operationally, right? Hitting its SLAs and was it worth a price variance? I think that gets into a discussion around the business decision rights in meeting its overall business efforts and the enterprise value of global policy harmonization or the things that they want. What, where do you think the lines are? Where do you finally just decide to allow the business to run? And how do you embrace that or, or use that for levers going forward? Wow. <laughs> what a difficult question, Jeff. Um, and thank you, right? So I, I think the business is king. Uh, and, and, you know, they're being held to give a great customer experience in the, in the example of the call center, 
that's how they're being measured. Um, and, you know, and really they sort of have the right to spend money where they want, okay? However, I think that then there's that legality band that you have to say, look, you can't do this because of X, Y, and Z, not Z, Z, um, you know, to, 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 to drive that, um, to keep the company compliant, to keep the brand protected. But I think that this is where I think you can move up the stack by having that great data, right? So yes, business is king. Yes, procurement have a role to maintain uh, the integrity of the brand and protect the company. But, you know, if we can start educating, informing and showing people where they can maybe do better, either with spend or quality, location, all of the good stuff that you know, comes out of these tools and systems, I think that's where we can get that perfect blend and become that trusted advisor. No, that, that, that's great. And, and when I think about that, um, to what extent then do we think about program maturation? So it's one thing to take a look at your first level data when you're launching your first gen program. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you learn more and, and you get more data, right? <laughs> and you also have some of those more political um, uh, fights, arm wrestling matches, let's say internally. But at what point does, does the maturation curve maybe eclipse um, you know, your program goals? And, and, and is that an opportunity to then reformulate either what your SLAs are or to take a look at how do you then say from a network of uh, regional or global providers, how, how do you get them together yeah. to work towards an enterprise goal, if at all? Yeah, I, I, great question. And if I don't cover all those bits, just bring me back, right? So I, I, I think your SLAs always need to evolve, right? Um, you know, because when you're in a program, as you say, from the first phase, maybe you don't know what you're asking for. Maybe you're moving into new territory um, and certainly you should learn and, and tighten or expand some of the SLAs, right? And, and one of the things that I did see uh, a lot coming in as well is some of those SLAs were automatically adjusting too and going down, right? As, as you put more reliance on AI to remove some of the human component, right? So you saw the human need going down if AI delivered, and so therefore the cost should come down a little bit. So I did see some of the longer term, uh, you know, call center type businesses where, you know, we, we had an expectation of year a year cost reductions um, without going down the quality, right? So, so, so I think that you always need to look at that. You always can get some advantage there, right? And, and that could really be not just the size of the team, but also the location of the team, right? So if we've got, just take a delivery here in the United States, East Coast versus West Coast, let's just say the East Coast were knocking it out of all park, right? Why do we not put in more of the SLAs that way and, and you know, more resources that way than we do over here on the West Coast. So, mm. yeah, I, I think that's a good point. We, you could learn an awful lot and, and build on top of that, those successes. Yeah, you mentioned in our last session too, the, uh, the thought a little bit about what you look at for maybe rebates within the SLAs. And yeah. I know we've often talked about what are the thresholds of incentive penalties? Uh, and, and that, of course, will push yeah. forward your SLAs. Yeah. Um, but when we think about that, how, how, how do you really see that uh, incenting the right types of behavior, uh, <laughs> right, in terms of driving that um, to, a, to a quality component? Or is it really just the risk of money? Where do you think it lies? Wow. Um, another zinger. Um, 
I, I think I, I think when you're at that stage, you're in a recovery, uh, an escalation stage, right? So they're good to have because you can put things back uh, and you can give uh, the supplier a second chance. Um, you know, I think that, I, I honestly, Jeff, I think you've lost when you're going in to look at the SLAs to see, you know, how do I manage what is being delivered to me? And, and often when that request did come in, that was like, okay, you know, are, are we done, right? Or is this, can we get a do-over and put it back together for, for next quarter, next delivery? Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, they're definitely used, um, but they use when things go wrong, right? Um, very rarely... You know, somebody from the business will celebrate. Look at you know how this supplier is over delivered, right? I mean, that's the one sided nature of this as well, right? So you know, I think that's a great point. That unfortunately, but yes, that is a great point. So, so here we are with a, a, a number of ideas about a program, the use of data, how to roll it out, uh, the evergreen eternal question: pilot to scale or Big Bang? What, what are some of your thoughts about either uh, whether it's policies around SOW pulling in suppliers? Where do you fall in that uh, left or right? Uh, definitely pilot, uh, pilot, pilot scale maybe as well, uh, but definitely have a plan, right? Because um, you, you, you've got to know what you need to accomplish in the pilot to have success and have demonstrable success to whatever you're expanding, whether that's geographic or business function wise, right? So, you know, make sure the, the clear criteria of the pilot is written out in advance uh, to make sure you've got what you need from that pilot to, to, to go off to scale. Um, and also I think the other thing, and we haven't talked about this, Jeff, is, you know, if the pilot fails, you know, do you stop the program? And I think that that's one of the hardest things to do in a corporation, right? This is an absolute disaster that stop and walk away, right? So I'm a big fan of the pilot learn, maybe pilot again, if it's a big change and or a you know, slightly larger pilot and then roll out. No, that, that's a great point. Be willing to walk away. If you think about the appropriate reviews, however, as you are in the midst of your pilot, um, how often do you think the expectations of the project charter and those consuming the service during the pilot are aligned, number one? And number two, if you were to find significant failure, uh, do you think a reboot around realignment of those expectations are appropriate, sort of that do learn adjust? I, I, I mean, definitely. So I, I think that you certainly should be aligned, right? And in fact, they should be co-authored you know what the success should be written by both parties it shouldn't be you know this is right for procurement or you know or wherever that, that contingent workforce is being managed from versus the business so they should be co-authored and very measurable as well right because there's some soft measures in there as well that you could have two different opinions on right um and but if it doesn't work and and and, and you're light why did it not work needs to be addressed. And I think that's what you're getting to is, you know, is it the the person that's making, the, the company that's making that purchase, have they got realistic expectations? Do we need to redefine those? Uh, so I think there has to be a review of why it's failing. Is it our fault? Is it suppliers' fault? Uh, and, and try and address that. And, and, you know, if it obviously is maybe too early to market, maybe things are not quite ready yet, the quality's not there, 
you know, do you delay or do you stop as well? That's the other discussion that probably needs. Absolutely. The, um, so when I think about some of the expectations though, usually, and, and I don't like the, the whole, uh, uh, under promise over deliver. You know, I, I think we just need to get realistic expectations. As you did so many of the projects and the work that you uh, you had done at Cisco uh, and or anywhere else that you've done this, what do you think about the appropriate building in of Slack? So when we think about on time and on budget, which everyone loves to be, um, we hit a lot of process issues when it comes to extended workforce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's, what's the function of the PMO to ensure that Slack is built and again, maybe even be traffic cop between the business and the provider being installed? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's, there's two sides there. I, I, I definitely think you, you just need to be realistic, right? So that you can meet the goals. It's much better to go slightly above than, you, you know, completely sandbag and, you know, knock it out of the park, right? Um, but I think there's also another side that seems to be very relevant to contingent labor and, and not just at Cisco from, you know, other peers in the organization, that there is so much opportunity there uh, by, you know, looking at, let's just say on SOWs, that those numbers start getting very big, very, very quickly. And then there's that fear of large numbers, right? You can turn up and then big learning for me, you can turn up talking about tens of millions plus, right? And, and it scares people away, right? You know, it's, you know, the number's just too big. So I think that, you know, working on, you know, making sure you can be successful, making sure you can set meaningful goals that make a difference, but also make sure that you're not going to have just these outrageous goals that make people run away. Uh, sure. And I think that, you know, that's one of the big learnings that, that I had is how do you make sure that this is a value and, and Jeff is going to listen to me and it's not going to scare him away with his numbers. No, great point. And, and, and so when I think about that, two large numbers uh, leads me to think a little bit about when we go out for a particular RFX event, whether it's an RFI, RFP, RFQ, um, oftentimes the business intended purpose and total cost of ownership yeah. wind up very misaligned, yeah. scope creep change orders. Yeah. What, what do you think is or what are some of the keys to reducing uh, a, a constant change order activity um, uh, or the keys to success to sort of sticking to the knitting of what the business deliverable was intended to be? Um, again, these, these are constant conversations that you and I have had as well. I, I think change is inevitable, right? And I, I think last time we spoke, we talk about the, the painting of the house, right? So let's that, that's keep that analogy going. So you're, you're having your house remodeled um, and, and let's say, Jeff, we've gone around the room and we've, out, you know, we've pointed out where we want various electrical outlets, right? And then during the build, you know, Jeff comes in and says, oh, we need another two over there. Well, well those outlets go from costing you you know, 50 bucks an outlet, I'm making this up, right, to 250 bucks an outlet. And it's like, hey, guys, have we have we just lost $250? Well, the, the $200 per unit, right? The truth of that is, yeah, you have. But then again, the cost of not doing that 
might mean you've got this ugly extension cord running across the center of your room, right? And it's like, therefore, the 250 seems cheap. So, but, but I think that we have to look at why we're doing these changes. And is it because we didn't prepare properly with, with the RFX? Uh, is it because we didn't spend enough time? Or is it because genuinely we're learning, you know, maybe there's new developments in the marketplace or whatever. And I think that, you know, if it's just we need more time in preparing, we need better documentation at the beginning, let's start getting that feedback loop so we don't do it again, right? But mm -hmm. I think change is inevitable. And, you know, I think there needs to be a certain amount of budget assigned to that so we don't stop that extension called, you know, going across the middle of the house. So do you think that, and, and you mentioned change a couple of times, and last time we definitely talked about the fact that you do need change management built okay. into yeah. all of these initiatives. To what extent then do you think it is incumbent upon the business to potentially build in capacity of the budget to absorb those unknown factors? Right. So, so that brings in, I think, a, another interesting uh, a question that leads to, to, a, to a twofold. Um, diversity has been a very big topic. Mm -hmm. uh, diversity of the workforce, diversity and equity. And, um, you know, we're seeing, obviously, both on the staff side, OG side, as well as yep. SOW, the questions yep. around diversity. And they come in a couple of forms. Are you, as a service provider, a certified organization, whatever yep. that certification is? Um, do you provide sort of uh, a diverse talent, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so when I think about that, let, let's tackle it in two ways. Spend first. Yeah. Um, there's this myth around, at least I would think, there's a myth around this tier one spend mm -hmm. and, and, and making sure that it's directed towards minority or uh, other certified owned vendors. Mm -hmm. What's the appropriate approach to taking a look at the spend versus the value of what I think the intention is of, of visibility and diverse talent. Yeah. Um, so th there's two aspects to this, as, as we said. So let's just talk about the diversity-owned uh, group first. Um, hugely important, hugely important that we give back uh, to the societies in where we work, right, and where we trade and do our business. So a huge and, and huge advocate of this. Um, but I don't think we should give business, um, you know, to, to diverse suppliers, just give it, right? They've, they've got to compete to win it. And, and, and they do, right? And they compete very, very well. So, you know, some of the changes that, that we did, and, and it, it took a team to do this, was that, you know, diverse, certified diverse suppliers were included um, all significant bids, right? And they they won, right? And then you measure the success of that in two ways. One is, are diverse suppliers being included in the bids? Um, that you can, obviously, if you're buying software, you can't really do that because you're buying a software from a, a set supplier, right? But, you know, if you're looking at labor, did, did, did uh, a diverse supplier get included? And then what was their win rate, right? And, and, you know, you really want the very first one to be incredibly high, right? More than 80%, right? And the second one, you, you, you hope that they're winning their fair share of bids, um, but you must not use them as bid fodder. 
Uh, it gets very old, very tiring. If you're adding suppliers in there, just to get a tick in the box at the front end, right? You really want to make sure they've got a chance of winning that too. No, that's that's a great point. And, and, and to that extent then, um, when we think about the extended workforce, not so many organizations had been previously, but very much are now thinking about how to measure yeah. the diversity within their extended workforce. Yeah. Um, when you think about, however, SOW spend, it seems interesting yeah. that there might be a requirement of, of diversity within that when we're trying to potentially drive towards outcomes. What, why do you think there's such a, uh, um, a slant inside of that that's almost opposite of what the goal of an SOW is? Yeah, I, I mean, it's that push and pull, right? I, I think just because it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super hard, right? And this is where I think that first tier, you know, diversity has been sorted out. Are you certified diverse, right? The next tier about, you know, what is the composition of your workforce that you're providing to us and, or your workforce period? I think they're the metrics that come through next, right? But Jeff, we spoke about this earlier, right? An SOW shouldn't have Jeff's name on the SOW. So therefore, it also shouldn't have, you know, we need this sort of level of makeup as well. It should just be part of how we do business, right? Part of what we expect. We expect, uh, you know, a, a diverse and mixed culture. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. And it creates better solutions, right? If you have that diversity of full, it, it just, just helps with what you're developing and what you're delivering. Sure, sure. And, and for a global company right. to ensure that it has representation globally, whether right. it's culturally or, or geographically, what have you. So it's interesting as I take all those components and build them in, we suddenly have arrived at total talent. And, and that also seems so elusive to people yeah. that for some reason, we, we, we can't get to this total talent mentality. And yet it seems like we are. Um, you know, what do you think is maybe the one or two most significant hurdles for an organization to to realize the value uh, of a total talent mindset or, or reality? Um, I think the hurdle is it's very difficult. Um, you know, I think it's just really hard to look at, you know, what you're expecting from a workforce, how you want to you know, divvy that up between, a, a, you know, an FTE population and a contingent workforce. I mean, some of it's also the taxonomy of, of that workforce. You know, are there roles that you exclusively want to, you know, outsource to, to somebody else to manage? And, and conversely, are there roles that you never, ever want a contingent worker to touch, right? Um, and, and in some areas, I imagine some of the regulatory rules as well determine that pool too, right? And then you've got in the middle, which is the best way to do it. You know, is this core to the business? Is this long-term, you know, is this, is this an area we really want to invest in and uh, or ask somebody else to manage it for us? So um, I, I, I do think it's very, very hard, right? I think that that's why uh, that, that it's not done correctly at the moment. And so when I think about the typical actors, right, within, within the overall uh, management of the extended workforce, strong supply chain with the contractual uh, driving force of the business-to-business -business relationship, and then human capital typically in HR if, if they're involved, um, 
Where, what do you think is the necessity though of trying to ensure that the supply chain is actively recruiting in underrepresented groups, let's say, right? right. So from the supply chain versus the, the speed to talent, mm -hmm. right? So when I think about how fast we tend to move in this lane versus an FTE hire, do we give up time to fill um, to ensure that we have balanced slates? You know, we're, 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 if you're sitting next to your HR uh, leader, what, what's the counsel and advice you give? Okay, okay so this is going to be a little bit controversial uh, in the response, Jeff. So if you want to say, okay, now give the other answer or give a different answer. Um, I actually have started to believe that there needs to be one entry point for talent, right? So, so we talked about, you know, the management, of the SOW, the management, of the supplier, and all of those good things and all the compliance things, you know, I, I think that that does fit, you know, in a procurement organization, very closely aligned with HR labor, uh, HR and legal. Um, but I think when you look at um, attracting talent into an organization, I, I think the HR team are just geared up to do that right. There's a huge investment in talent acquisition, you know, the, 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 what you put in the websites, all of the branding to attract the right people. And, you know, many of the processes are exactly the same. They're just at a slightly different level, right? And so why not put it in one place and just have the funnel and the management of that resource very different if it's an FTE and a contingent worker. And I actually think that that's going to happen. Now, the, the thing is, I'm definitely a half full person, is it a year, is it two years, or is it three years? But I do think that they will come together because there's great economies of scale there and you control your brand and all the things that I worried about, uh, you know, when I did that role. So I, I do think they might come together. No, that's 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 fantastic. And I, I appreciate that you would share definitely. I, I don't know if that's controversial, Kevin. I think that uh, oftentimes, however, the extended workforce is is the hot potato uh, right. inside of an organization. Yeah. And uh, and let's face it, it, people are human capital and they're they're an incredibly important ingredient of goods and services to the market. So okay. it's it's uh, I love to hear that one point of contact for sure. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. This has been a phenomenal part two. I can't believe that uh, uh, we're already done with our, our list of questions. I think that maybe we'll go back and, and hit some more up for uh, later in the year if you'd be willing to come back. Oh, thanks, Jeff. No, I appreciate right. it. I've enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Wonderful. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us for part two. We look forward to uh, your comments and responses. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks so much.